word, I want to invite you to join me in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. The text we're going to study here is not what Ben just read, but it's that, that passage um, from the Gospels sort of sets the table, as it were, uh, to what we're going to talk about this morning. As we talk about this idea of everyday hospitality, we've continued to talk about uh, being and making disciples and the everyday stuff of life, the normal rhythms of life, which we'll talk a little bit more about next week. And uh, today we're going to talk about hospitality. While you're finding your place there, um, I, I want you to know that in just a little while here uh, at the end of the service, we'll have communion. And um, we recognized last uh, last month when we had communion that uh, these are quite a battle to get open. If you didn't experience that, you'll get to today. So I just want to give you a little tutorial here on these uh, individual communion cups. The, uh, the, there's, two, there's actually two things to peel off. The top layer is clear. And that'll give you access to that, whatever that wafer set sort of thing is in there. And then the second one will give you access to the to the juice. So when we have communion a little bit later on, uh, that's that's just for you to know. And I, I read uh, this week a pastor tweeted about how thankful he was for these little things. Uh, he said, well, I'm thankful, first of all, because the, they let us continue to have uh, communion during the, the virus when people would be maybe concerned about having a common cup or or something you know, where there's a lot of interaction and hands and touching. Uh, he said, secondly, they contain enough preservatives that they're certainly building up some kind of a supernatural immunity in, in each of us. And then finally, they taste so terrible that they can only make us long for heaven in the marriage supper of the Lamb. So um, we are thankful that all these little things let us be able to continue to have communion, and we'll, we'll do that here a little bit at the end of the service. Hopefully you found your spot in Hebrews chapter 13, and we're just going to read two verses this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verses 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This morning we're not going to really look at that last phrase. There's a lot that we could say. Uh, it's, a, it's certainly an intriguing phrase. The possibility that you can have a stranger in and they, they may actually be an angelic being uh, is, is quite an incredible statement here. Um, I just will only say this about that statement. If you have someone over, a stranger, someone you're, you're not familiar with, and you think at any point that they may be an angel come into human form, I just want to give you a little tip, a little piece of advice. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't serve wings. Highly offensive to angels. Anyways, that's too bad. Yeah, you got it. I thought it was funny, anyways. <laughs> Thank you. As we think about this idea of hospitality, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie What About Bob. If, if you have, you usually uh, fall into one of two categories. You absolutely love it, it's one of your favorite movies, or you absolutely hate it and thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. Um, but there's uh, the whole movie is based upon uh, this, this crazy guy, Bob Wiley, who's taken a, to his doctor and just is like gravitated toward this psychiatrist and, uh, and, and wants and meets the family. And the family loves him and welcomes him in. The doctor thinks he's nuts and wants to keep him as far away from the family as possible. And uh, if you've seen the movie, you see kind of two perspectives on hospitality when it comes to the Marvins and how they treat Bob Wiley. Uh, the uh, Leo Marvin, the, the, the psychiatrist, uh, just thinks he needs to be kept away from the family. But the rest of the family loves him and they welcome him into their home. They, uh, they feed him dinner. They let him have the last 
chicken breast. They, they give him extra corn, and he's just ooing and eyeing and ooing over the corn. And, and then uh, if you've seen the movie, you know that a big rainstorm hits, and they, they're not able to uh, let him go back to the hotel he's staying at or the, the home he's staying at. So they let him stay there for the night, and the dad is just upset about it, beside himself, muttering under his breath angry, and uh, they give him dad's PJs to wear, they let him uh, share a bedroom with their son, uh, they make breakfast, I mean, they just they just roll out the red carpet for Bob. And, and you know, as you, as you think about biblical hospitality, the, his, uh, Leo's wife, Faye, and the kids, they had a better grasp of what biblical hospitality is than did Leo. God has called us to be people as Christians who welcome others into our home. I know that's sort of out of sorts in our culture. I know that that's not necessarily a common thing to do anymore. But God has called us as, as believers to be welcoming. Uh, Edith Schaefer has said every Christian home is meant to have a door that swings open. Michael Green writes, one of the most important methods of spreading the gospel in antiquity was the use of homes. But it goes back even earlier than the New Testament church. It goes back into the Old Testament. God called the nation of Israel over and over and over, especially in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He, he says, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I want you to welcome strangers. I want you to let others come to your homes. I want you to provide for those who have nothing to their name. In fact, it, it goes on throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the, prophet Isaiah mentions in Isaiah 58, he says, is, is this not the fast that I choose, to loose the bond of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? He goes on to say, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? This is the kind of religion, the kind of heart that God called his people to have, to welcome the needy into their home. Not just throw money at the problem, not just say, hope everything goes well, I'll pray for you, but to tangibly, physically love them by welcoming them into their home. This practice carried on into the New Testament. Interestingly, it wasn't part of the culture there in the Greek and Roman culture. They emphasize the importance of hospitality, though their motive was not necessarily always in the, the right place. You see, uh, we've all heard of the, the Roman roads and, and the, the elaborate travel system that they built so that you could move freely between uh, throughout the Roman Empire. Well, as a result of those roads, natural uh, it was natural for inns to, to bob up and places to be able to, to, for a weary traveler to lay their head. The problem was is that they weren't always safe places. They were havens for uh, thieves, and uh, frequently there were murders at these places, uh, and many of them were nothing more than brothels. And so travelers often sought out uh, safer places to live, and homes were those places. For the wealthy, they often opened up their homes to others that they thought might be it might be advantageous of them for them to, to, to sort of maybe further their networking possibilities and expand their business. And they knew wealthy travelers passing through. Well, sure, you can stay, and I'd be good to get to know you, and I'll introduce you to my friends. And, and, and so the motives weren't always there. In fact, uh, for, for many of the, the Greeks and Romans, it was also uh, sort of a, a mandate to, uh, uh, sort of a, an homage to Zeus to, uh, to um, invite a stranger into your home. And so the motives weren't always in the right place, but it still was part of their culture. 
When you traveled, you often had to rely on the generosity of others to open their homes. And so for Christians who are changed by Jesus Christ, who are called to show generosity and kindness to welcome others, this was a natural opportunity for them to, to uh, expand the kingdom of God, to proclaim Jesus Christ by opening their homes. So as we think about hospitality and what Hebrews and a few other passages has to say uh, this morning, I, I want to just... Uh, make note of a couple of things. And, and the first one is, I think, the most important. The foundation of hospitality is the fact that Jesus Christ has welcomed us. The foundation of us inviting others into our homes and into our lives is that that is how Jesus Christ himself has treated us. There's this great verse. If you're a Bible underliner, I highly encourage you to underline Romans 15, 7. It goes like this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You hear what that verse is saying? It's saying that we invite others into our lives based upon what our Savior, the way in which our Savior has treated us. Think about this for a second. The Bible actually calls us, apart from Christ, we studied Ephesians 2 not long ago, it calls us strangers. It even tells us that we were enemies of God. And Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ himself has welcomed us. Enemies. Has brought us near to him. I don't know how you picture Jesus in your mind. But for some of us, he looks a bit like this. Maybe this morning, either for some of us, he looks a little like this. We see in our mind his back. He's, he's disapproving of us, the way that we've blown it recently, or, or, or the fact that we haven't measured up in some of our lifestyle. But the biblical picture of Jesus Christ is like this. Welcoming enemies, strangers, those on the outside. Jesus' door is never closed. He beckons us to come to him. This morning, is this how you see Jesus? Or is it more like this? Are his arms open wide to you? Or is, is his back turned to you? I want to tell you that no matter what your perspective is, what you think his appearance is, he, he's, that, he's that father waiting for the prodigal son to return. Our Savior has welcomed you. And maybe for some of us this morning, we know that in our minds. We know the theology behind that. But maybe we're living like his back is turned. We can't come to him because I really blew it last night. Talk to my family this way. Or I thought these things. Or I'm angry. Or I've just been distant. I've not been in the word. Or whatever it is. Jesus is welcoming all day, every day, his door is wide open. And he says in this passage, welcome one another because you've been welcomed by Jesus. The foundation of letting others into our homes and into our hearts is the way that we've been treated by Jesus Christ himself and continue to be day in and day out. Second thing I want us to remember is that um, God calls us to show hospitality to God's people. That's where we find ourselves in the first verse of Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. 
Let this go on in your life. The love that you show towards brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the Greek word Philadelphia. Brotherly love. It's not simply a call for sentiment or even a particular emotion, but it has to do with attitudes that are shown in tangible behavior. Brotherly love shows itself in its actions. We've all been either done it ourselves or had, had someone express some, some sort of an empty kindness to us. But there were no, there was nothing of substance attached to it. There was going to be no involvement. Sometimes even that phrase, I'll pray for you, can be a spiritual way of saying, I don't want to get involved right now. I don't want to give them my time, my energy, to get down in the stuff of life and walk with you. I'll pray for you. And it can be a, a spiritual sounding way of trying to wash your hands of this tangible love. That's the, that's the word Philadelphia. This love that shows itself in invisible, tangible expressions. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You see, this is not a calling reserved simply for those who have that special gift or maybe went and got a degree in college in the area of hospitality. This is for all of us to welcome others into our homes, into our lives. You see, it's not just God's people that we're called to show hospitality towards. It's also to strangers. We show hospitality to strangers. And that's the second verse here in Hebrews 13. He says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. The actual Greek word for strangers, it's related to Philadelphia, to brotherly love. But instead of Philadelphia, it's philozenia. It's stranger, xenia, xenos. It's stranger love. <laughs> there's brotherly love, and then there's the love that we show to strangers. And it's actually where we get the English word hospitality from. It's born out of this idea where I'm not just going to welcome those who are my best buds, those who I get along with, those who I click with, those who I already know really well. It's strangers. And that Greek word stranger means stranger. It means people I don't know, people I'm not familiar with. And this is, let's be honest, this is a little bit scary, right? I mean, he's calling us, the scripture calls us, to welcome into our home those who we know well, those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as the neighbors that we're not all that familiar with. But this concept that's built into this word is that we treat that stranger as though they were a friend, as though they were someone we've known for years. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Maybe even been in the home of someone like that, where, where you didn't know them that well. But they treated, they, they didn't know that. They treated you like family. They're letting you sit in their favorite easy chair and put your feet up and bringing you drinks and, and giving you something to eat. And they just listen and, and welcome you in like an old friend. That's how God calls his people to be. I get it. As I was studying this week, I already was making a mental list of the excuses why this is just weird and it's not going to work and why it's just, isn't there other ways that we can 
live for Jesus? And of course there is. One of the reasons this is so important is that, as we shared a month or so back, maybe two months ago, time is just all weird now. Things can happen around your kitchen table that can't happen very naturally anywhere else. The kind of conversations that can take place around a good meal, around the safety and the the comfort of our homes, can go far deeper than they can at restaurants and and even on Sunday mornings here as we greet one another in the foyer after the service. The hospitality that we show to those that we don't know well, it, it reflects that impact that Jesus Christ has had on our hearts in welcoming us in. The fourth thing I want us to see that kind of flows into this is that hospitality is costly. You see, if we're going to talk about inviting strangers in our house, not only does it is it costly in the realm of like this, like this is uncomfortable. This is weird for me. My my house isn't the way that I want it to be. My house isn't is as big as it should be or or uh, you know, th- these people have a little bit more means. They're going to be embarrassed to come in my house. All that stuff we set aside. We're not worried about what other people think of us. We're doing it because we want to reflect the heart of Jesus Christ, but it is going to cost something. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24, we're not going to turn there, but God's people are commanded to, as, as they reap in the fields, to not go over it a second time so that some is left. As they go and pick the olives or the figs off their trees, they're not supposed to go through it a second time to make sure they've gotten every, every last one. You ask why? As you read that passage in Deuteronomy 24, God says, It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless all the work of your hands. He says, I want you to leave some extra on the vine, a little bit of extra on the tree, a little bit laying in the fields, for those who are without. See, that hospitality, as it were, was going to cost the people something. That was extra food. That was extra money that they were leaving laying there. But it had a purpose to bless those who were in need. When we invite others into our home, it will be costly. It'll cost us time, especially if it's an impromptu thing. We might have to change plans. We might have to miss our favorite TV show. We might have to to cut out something that we had been uh, hoping for, hoping to do with our time. It'll cost us money. It'll cost you financially. There's extra mouths to feed, extra food to buy. Uh, I remember one pastor saying, he said, I can always tell when my people are beginning to really buy into being hospitable because uh, they'll begin to budget for it in their finances. Every month, they know they're going to allow a little extra in their food budget because there's going to be extra mouths to feed. It'll cost you, people will use your stuff, break stuff sometimes. I, I remember when Elisa and I were missionaries and uh, we were raising support and we were traveling across country from Michigan, heading out to California to um, visit some churches out there. And uh, we, we found uh, this, this um, hosp- it was called, I think, the Christian Hospitality Network. And uh, it was a bunch of people who had signed up to host missionaries as they were traveling and on furlough and everything. And so we called this place that was along our route and asked if we could stay such and such a night. We thought we'd be passing through that area. And I wonder if it was Caleb and Jaden were real little at the time, maybe like three and one or something. And, um, and they said, sure, we're not going to be home. Uh, their, their teenage son was going to be in and out, but they weren't going to be home. But they said they were welcome. We were welcome to stay there 
regardless. I thought, this is incredible. They, they don't know us. We don't have any reference. They don't know anybody we know. But they're going to let us stay in their home. Well, they're not even there. And it was incredible because um, it was just it was a great place to crash. And we were just looking to stay a night, and we needed to get right back on the road. And, and uh, it was a beautiful home, large home, a lot of nice stuff. And we felt sort of out of sorts there. And as we were getting ready to leave, um, I don't even remember which kid it was. I don't even remember what it was. But one of them was just playing and, and, and just happened to walk by an end table and knock something off, lamp or a statue or something, and it shattered on the floor. Like, oh, no, we almost made it the whole time without our kids breaking something. And, and uh, we left a note and, and, and offered to, to repay whatever it was just to let us know, left our number and everything. And of course, we never heard from them because that, that, they weren't there because they – they weren't inviting their home because they cared about all their stuff and the ins and outs of that. They, they wanted to welcome us. Even though they, they couldn't even be there themselves, they had this giving heart. That this is not mine. This is from God. Everything I have belongs to God. Stewardship, right? We want to offer it to bless others. <laughs> Peter anticipates some of our excuses and our attitude issues, sort of the Leo Marvin attitude. Where he, when he says in 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do it without grumbling, realizing that you have an opportunity to bless people, realizing you have an opportunity to minister. Finally, as we think about uh, hospitality, really it's at the heart of the gospel mandate to make disciples. It's at the heart of the gospel mandate to make disciples. As we're talking about being and making disciples in the everyday stuff of life, well, where does the everyday stuff of life happen but in our homes? It's at the heart of, of reaching out and mirroring, mirroring the heart of Christ who has said, you're welcome. In fact, Jesus is preparing homes or places for us. He says in John 14, that the image of, of a home, of a dwelling place is so important to God. There may be times as you invite others into your home where you have an agenda, maybe especially if it's, if it's a neighbor that you've gotten to know and you're, you've had lots of conversation with and you're trying, to, you're trying to steer the conversation to point them to Jesus Christ. You're going to intentionally uh, say things and do things that are going to um, uh, ignite, hopefully, gospel-centered conversations. But it may just be simply being a, a place of refuge, a place where someone can come and be themselves and put their feet up and they know that you're going to listen, you're going to hear them, and they're going to be loved and welcomed. But even as we do that, we're still discipling. We're discipling our kids. We're discipling our grandkids. We're discipling those who are watching, who see how we love the stranger, how we care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I love what the pastor Sam Albury says, your home may be one of the most significant weapons in God's arsenal that you possess. Your kitchen table may do more in making known the love of Christ than this pulpit. It's powerful. God has called us to use our homes, to use the kitchen table as a place where the gospel can go forth. As we close, I want to give you an example of how this happened in the life of one woman. At the age of 36, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield was a recently tenured professor in the Center for Women's Study at Syracuse University. Rosaria and her lesbian partner were members of the Unitarian Universalist Church, where Rosaria was the coordinator of what is called the Welcoming Committee, the Gay and Lesbian Advocacy Group. 
Up to this point in her life, Rosaria said, the only Christians she knew were, in her opinion, intellectually impaired. They were the kind of people who sent me hate mail or uh, people who carried signs at gay pride marches that read, God hates fags. And her negative image of Christians would radically change when she met a local pastor named Ken and his wife, Floyd. Eventually, that friendship led to her conversion to Jesus Christ. But here's how Rosaria described that first encounter with authentic Christians. This is what she wrote. I remember being conscious of my butch haircut and the gay and pro-choice bumper stickers on my car. I remember awkwardly greeting my hosts at the door and pulling out of my bag two gifts, a bottle of good red wine and a box of strong tea. I wanted to get to know these people, but not at the expense of compromising my moral standards. My lesbian identity and culture and its values mattered a lot to me. I came to my culture and its values through life experience, but also through much research and deep thinking. I liked Ken and Floyd immediately because they seemed sensitive to that. She goes on to say, during our meal, I remember holding my breath and, and waiting to be punched in the stomach with something grossly offensive. I believed at this time that God was dead and that if he ever was alive, the fact that poverty, violence, racism, sexism, homophobia, and war was proof that he didn't care about his creation. I believe that religion was, as Karl Marx wrote, the opiate of the masses. But Ken's God seemed alive, three-dimensional and wise, if firm. And Ken and Floyd were anything but intellectually impaired. Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has, has a long Christian history. They invited the stranger in, not to scapegoat me, but to listen to learn, to dialogue. We didn't debate worldview. They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. During our meal, they did not share the gospel with me. After our meal, they did not invite me to church. Because of these glaring omissions to the Christian script as I had come to know it, when the evening ended and Pastor Ken said he wanted to stay in touch, I knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand. Since this beginning, the journey on which the Lord has taken me has been a great adventure. And this simple meal in a pastor's home was the first leg of this journey. Before I ever stepped foot in a church, I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd on again and off again, studying scripture and in my heart. Ken knew that at that time I couldn't come to church. It would have been too threatening, too weird, too much. So Ken was willing to bring the church to me. As God's people, we know that there are a host of people living in our own neighborhoods, living down our streets, that are very unlikely to come to the church. But God has called us to bring the church to them, to welcome them into our homes. This morning, as we think about welcoming others to our table, we want to welcome you to the Lord's table. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of celebrating communion, where we remember and celebrate that welcoming 
that night where Jesus gathered his disciples around the table and shared a meal with them. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to celebrate communion here. You don't have to be a member or a regular attender. There's no vetting process. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, uh, you're welcome to participate with us here today. Uh, if you haven't done so, normally, well, nothing's normal these days, but uh, if is that as our worship team comes on up here in a moment, we want to just invite you to come on up, get in line, and uh, and, and grab a, a cup uh, from the table. I recommend uh, opening it once you get back and seated in your in your pew, or otherwise you're liable to spill. Uh, you're going to be getting grape juice stains out of your shirt this uh, this afternoon. As I was thinking about communion today, there's a verse that's been in my or passage that's been in my mind this weekend. It's three verses from Matthew 11, where Jesus said, "Come unto me." All who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are our Savior's words to us today. That welcoming that he longs for us to turn and extend to others. That welcome to come and lay our burdens before him. Some of you have come here today and you're, You've been burdened or heavy laden. The, the burdening may be carrying sin, behavior, that, choices that you've made that are disobedient to God. And he calls you to come and repent and to lay that before him and receive his free forgiveness. Some of us here this morning, though, are heavy laden. Maybe things that we didn't choose. Uh, nothing is the result of sinful behavior, but burdens that we carry nonetheless because of cares of the last four or six months, things are going on in your life, relational difficulties, family issues, health issues. And Jesus welcomes us to the table and longs for us to lay those burdens down. He says his yoke, it's easy and it's light. He longs for us to walk with him, for us to cast our burdens upon him. As we get ready to partake of the bread that represents his body broken for us and the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. I just want to give us a few moments to talk to God right where you are in the quiet of the moment here, in the quiet of the morning. Just take a moment and spend some time talking to God, maybe thanking him for sending Jesus Christ, maybe casting those burdens down on him. Think about reflecting and remembering what he's done for us and welcoming us to the table. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that in Jesus Christ, we have been welcomed into your family. You tell us in your word that those who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God, if any of my brothers or sisters in here today have come in feeling far off, or if someone has come here today and they are afar off because they've, they've never truly believed and trusted in Jesus as the Savior, the one who would take their sins and pay for them and offer life and hope and eternal joy. May today be the day that we draw near to Jesus. 
Lord, may we see our Savior with open arms, not as one who ignores sin or dismisses it as trivial, but who longs to welcome, to hear his child cry out for forgiveness and to receive them. And may we know that acceptance, that welcome. And then God, teach us to extend it to others, not just to the people we get along really well with or lifelong friends. God, teach us to welcome the stranger, the hurting, the homeless. Maybe single moms that don't have a place to stay. Young people who've aged out of the foster system. The sky's the limit. God, may we open up our hearts and our homes and listen to how your spirit is calling us to exercise this grace of hospitality. To be willing to make sacrifices, to be willing to give and welcome as we've been welcomed into your family. And we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We celebrate Jesus today that the work on the cross is finished. We're so thankful what he has done. You've been so good to us, God. We worship you today. We remember the work of Jesus, that he conquered death by rising again. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Won't you please come as we
stand with us and thank you. opportunity to once again come and receive communion, Lord, taking it in remembrance of what you did for us, Father. Father, that simple word, but so hard for us to maybe wrap our heads around sometimes of hospitality. As Christians, I feel a lot of times we want to do the big and the grandiose things for you, God. That's when we'll know. Just sharing a meal. Just loving people. God, thank you for your word today. I pray that it just stirs and stirs and stirs in our hearts this week, Father. Help us to get you've been telling us, Father, taking your word outside of these four walls and being the church, being the body. Amen, church. We love you. Have a fantastic week. Remember to be the hands, be the feet. Because once again I look upon the cross where you died.